Amen. What an amazing moment, not just in the lives of those individuals, but in the life of our church. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Travis, for leading us in that moment. What a great way for us to begin Thanksgiving week by celebrating, witnessing baptisms and celebrating the new life in Christ Jesus. Because that's part of our mission here at New City Church, helping people find and follow Jesus. Well, good morning once again, everybody. Welcome to New City Matthews. If you're new with us this morning, I pray that you have enjoyed your time with us so far. My name is Rodney. I am the Matthews pastor, and I'm excited uh, to continue our study on the book of Judges. We've been in a study for the last few months on the book of Judges entitled In Those Days. And we got two more weeks left. We got this week and next week left as we wind down on our series here. And so as we dive in today, I'm going to ask if you're able that you would stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to be looking at Judges chapter 16, verses 28 through 31. The word of the Lord to you today. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, sovereign Lord, remember me again, O God. Please strengthen me just one more time. With one blow, let me pay back the Philistines for the loss of my two eyes. Then Samson put his hands on the two center pillars that held up the temple, pushing against them with both hands. He prayed, let me die with the Philistines. And the temple crashed down on the Philistine rulers and all the people. So he killed more people when he died than he had during his entire lifetime. Later, his brothers and other relatives went down to get his body. They took him back home and buried him between Zorah and Estaol, where his father Manoah was buried. Samson had judged Israel for 20 years. Thus ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. What we've been learning throughout the book of Judges is that God seems to enjoy working through the impossible to do the improbable. And through our final judge here in chapter 13 through 16, we see God doing just that, working the impossible to bring about the improbable. And the last judge recorded in the book of Judges is none other than Samson. And Samson's story is, if you will, an exclamation mark on the story of Judges. Now, maybe growing up, you've heard this story told a certain way, but I want you to know, as we dive in this morning, that it's much more than a story about strength and hair. It's a story about God's spirit and our senses. God's spirit in our senses. And so last week we looked at Judges chapter 13, which began with the phrase, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight, with the key words there being in the Lord's sight. Those words are key because they address the question, whose eyes matter most? And that's a question I want you to think about as we walk through this message today. Whose eyes matter most? In your life, whose eyes matter most? Now, for context to the story of Samson here, this phrase, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight, is used seven times in the book of Judges, and we've covered them all. And this is the last time that that phrase is used in the book of Judges. Now, there is an understanding here that what is good and evil is in the Lord's eyes, not in our own. But I want you to watch how the wording changes when we get towards the end of the book of Judges. In Judges 17, verse 6, and in Judges 21, verse 25, it says, all the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. 
All the people did what was right in their own eyes. Now, the author here, most likely Samson, who was a contemporary, uh, most likely Samuel, rather, who was a contemporary of Samson, he's making the point here that what the people did wasn't evil in their eyes. Catch that. He's making the point that what the people did was not evil in their eyes, and more importantly, their behavior was, in fact, right in their eyes. Ladies and gentlemen, when what is clearly wrong in God's eyes seems right in our eyes, we have a problem. We have a problem. Interestingly, we are surrounded by a culture that is always attempting to make what is clearly wrong in God's eyes a code of morality or right in the majority's eyes. Culture often tries, sometimes overtly, sometimes subtly, to influence us to justify living through our own or from our own senses, doing life our own way. You know, we say things like, that's just the way God made me. That's just the way I am, right? Scripture says in Proverbs 14, 12, there is a way that seems right to a man, but it's sin that is a way of death. Proverbs 15, 3 says, the eyes of the Lord are in every place. The eyes of the Lord are in every place. Now, I want you to notice this. We've moved from doing evil in the eyes of God to doing right in our own eyes. But that's what sin does, right? Sin has a way of moving us to justify or rationalize the things that we do. In fact, in the book of Judges, we learn two key truths about sin. The first we learn is the definition of sin. Sin is to fall short of the ideal. Sin is to miss God's mark of holiness. We know Romans 3 says that for everyone has sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. Yet, by his grace, God freely makes us right in his sight through Jesus. What's my point? My point is sin consists primarily of you and I violating God's standards and not our own. In other words, my eyes, my senses, your eyes, your senses will and do lie about, about what is right and what is wrong. So the starting point for sin is trusting in my own eyes, trusting in my own senses rather than God's. So we learn about the definition of sin through the book of Judges, and we also learn about the deception of sin, the deception of sin. The truth is, the Israelites, as we've been walking through the book of Judges, the Israelites are in group denial. They're in group denial. And if we're honest, many of us are too. We're in group denial. The heart of their denial, the Israelites, was their idolatry. Instead of accepting God's invitation to the promised land, instead of accepting all of the good things that God had for them, they decided to invite God into their plurality, to invite God into their idolatry, and we do the same thing. Instead of saying, God, what do you have for me? We say, God, this is what I want. Can you, can you bless this? This is where I want to go, God. Can you bless my decisions, my heart, and my desire? Thomas Brooks wrote this. He wrote, Satan paints sin with virtue's colors. Let that sink in for a moment. Satan, Satan paints sin with virtue's colors. I often say that distractions often come dressed up as opportunities of a lifetime. 
And many of us in the body of Christ, we get caught up because what we want most is our will, our way, our desires through our senses more than we want what God has for us. And so at the end of Judges, we're told that the promise of God to Manoah and his wife, we talked about that last week, if you were with us, the promise of God to them came to pass through the miraculous birth of their son Samson. And we know throughout scripture that God has often worked through a child whose birth was impossible. And so for you and I, if we are facing a situation that appears to be impossible today, I want you to remember that God draws to the impossible. And maybe your current situation, as disappointing and discouraging as it is, it is ripe for the glory of God. But I need you to know that you cannot have only God's stories without being in situations that only God can solve. Situations that seem impossible. And so as we began Samson's story last week, we talked about his parents, his miraculous birth, and the beginning of his story. But the verses we read today, Judges chapter 16, 28 through 31, they record the sad ending of Samson's story. And everything in between is the stuff that blockbuster movies are made of. Everything in between. Now, for a little bit more context before we dive in, I need you to know Samson's name means the little son, S-U-N. His name means the little son. The Canaanites worshiped the sun god, and so Samson was named after a pagan god. However, through his miraculous birth, through a mother that was barren, just like the birth of Isaac, Samson's birth points us to John the Baptist and to Jesus. And that's amazing for us to think about. It's amazing to think about that the little son, S-U-N, would point us to the son, S-O-N, of God. The son who would come to reveal God to all of the world. But what we're going to focus on today is the fact that Samson, like many of us, is a man in conflict. He's a man in conflict with himself. If you live long enough, you know that the fiercest battle we'll face in life is the battle with our own brokenness. Amen, somebody. The fiercest battle you and I will face is the battle with our own brokenness. So Samson, like his name, is a paradox because Samson is both stirred by the Spirit. We read that in Judges 13, 25 when it says, and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir in him, but he's also seduced by his senses. Samson is stirred by the Spirit. And he's also seduced by his senses. 14.1 says, one day Samson was in Timnah, and one of the Philistine women caught his eye. In fact, that's our bottom line for our time together. Our bottom line is simple. It says, my senses seduce, God's spirit stirs. My senses seduce, your senses seduce, God's spirit stirs. And through Samson, we're seeing the story of Israel, even our own story, through the life of one man. Samson is anointed, he's gifted, yet he struggles. Sound familiar? He's anointed, he's gifted, yet he struggles. And we'll see here as we walk through the next few chapters that Samson is capable of great feats when the Spirit of God stirs in him, but he's also capable of great seduction when his senses take over. So with that, let's dive into the story of Samson, uh, Judges 14 and 15. I'm going to story tell this, but I do want to encourage you to read it if you haven't had an opportunity to read it yet. But in Judges 14 and 15, we learn about a lion, 
a bet and a woman. A lion, a bet, and a woman. Kind of sounds like an Israeli country song a little bit, doesn't it? <laughs> we learn about a lion, a bet, and a woman. Now, right at the top of Judges chapter number 14, Samson begins to rebel against his Nazarite vow. If you were with us last week, we talked about this Nazarite vow that meant certain things. 14.1 says, a Philistine woman caught his eye. So what does Samson do? He tells his parents, go get her. Go get this woman. Now, I want you to imagine this for just a moment. Imagine Samson's parents who witnessed the Lord do an amazing thing. We talked about this last week. They witnessed him do, they witnessed the Lord do an amazing thing in chapter 13 through the miraculous birth of their son. Now their son is telling them to go get a woman. Not only was Samson supposed to be a gift to his parents, but he was also supposed to be a rescuer for the Israelites. But here he is now, instead of fighting Israel's enemies, he wants to marry one. Instead of fighting the enemy, he wants to marry one. Now, his parents, if you read the text, his parents object. And they ask, isn't there someone among the Israelites that you can marry? To which Samson responds, go get her. She looks good to me. Now, if you were here last week, I talked about my, my sweet tooth and how I like honey buns and all that stuff. And, and, and I do want to confess that, that later on last week, I did have a honey bun um, because it looked good to me. Now, I want you to consider what's going on here in the life of Samson in its cultural context. Because um, I want you to understand how impulsive and how unteachable Samson is. Unfortunately, it's not so abnormal nowadays for children to talk back to their parents. But in ancient Israel, it was extreme. It was extreme. Samson was totally dismissive of his parents' objection. Samson is being seduced here by his senses. Nevertheless, him and his parents, they go. They're on their way to Timnah to go get this woman, and a lion attacks Samson. In chapter 14, verse 5, a lion attacks Samson. And your scripture says that Samson tore the lion apart with his bare hands, but he didn't tell his parents. He didn't tell his parents. Why did he not tell his parents? Because, again, he's violating this Nazarite vow, which part of that vow was he wasn't supposed to touch a what? Dead body. Wasn't supposed to touch a dead body. So they get there. He talks to the woman, and he plans to marry her. The scripture says he was pleased with her. The story goes on, and Samson is later on his way back to Timnah for the wedding, and he turns off the path to look at the dead lion. Scripture says that he takes honey from the carcass of the lion, eats some, feeds it to his parents again, but he doesn't tell them. Why does he not tell them? Because again, he's violating this Nazarite vow. But the story gets better. Samson goes on, and he's getting ready to get married, and he throws a party for his Philistine wedding. And he starts bragging while he's at the party. He's bragging about what he did to the lion, and he tells the people a riddle. Tells the people a riddle, and then he bets the wedding party that they can't solve the riddle. But they do solve the riddle with his bride's help. They solve the riddle with his bride's help. Now, Samson finds out after they solve the riddle, and Samson is hot. Samson is hot, and in revenge, you know what he does? He murders 30 people and steals their clothes to pay off his debt to the wedding party. And after he murders people, steals their clothes to pay off his debt, he's so upset that he just goes home to live with his parents and just left his wife, just left his wife, just goes home to live with his parents. Now, 
His parents are watching all of this. His parents are watching all of this. Now, for all my parents out there, have you ever been watching your kids and just asked the question, how? Why? That's what I can imagine his parents are saying here. But chapter 14 ends with Samson's wife being given in marriage to the guy that was Samson's best man at the wedding. I told you this was blockbuster movie stuff. His, his, his wife is given in marriage to the man who was his best man at the wedding. So chapter 15 opens, and Samson returns with a present for his Philistine bride. He returns. Scripture says he's, he goes and looks for a young goat, young goat, to give to his Philistine bride. And he has some other plans for her as well. You got to read the story. He has some other plans as well. But, but somebody got it. Bless you, sir. <laughs> somebody knows the story. So, so, he, so he goes, and he has some other plans for her. And when he gets there, he's told that she has been given in marriage to, her, to, to his best man. His father, her father literally said, I truly thought you must hate her. I truly thought you left. I truly thought that you must hate her, so I gave her in marriage to your best man. Then he says, but look, her younger sister is more beautiful than she is. Marry her instead. Samson responds to this with one of the most immature verses in all of Scripture to me. He responds by saying, okay, that's what we're doing? Okay, that's what we're doing? This time, I'm about to go fool on y'all, but I can't be blamed for what I'm about to do. I'm about to wreck shop among the Philistines, but, but this time, you cannot blame me for what I am about to do to you Philistines. Now, I'm, I'm reading this. I'm thinking, wait a minute. He's the one that left. Samson is the one that left. Why is he so upset with them? Samson takes absolutely no responsibility for his actions. How many of us have done that? He takes absolutely no responsibility for his action. In his eyes, through his senses, he is justified in what he is about to do to them. Now, I want you to know that as all of this is going on, some time has passed. Remember, Samson left to go home with his parents. He comes back. Here's something he doesn't want to hear. Same old fiery Samson. And with that, we learn something, that time doesn't heal Samson's wounds. Just like time doesn't heal our wounds. Only God can. You ever, you ever had an issue with somebody and it ran up on them a year, two years, five years, ten, ten years later, and they still remember the incident from way back? Time doesn't, time doesn't handle, doesn't heal our wounds. Only God does when we allow his spirit to stir in us. So Samson is upset. He plans for more revenge on the Philistines, not because they're oppressing God's people. Remember, Samson was supposed to be their rescuer. He, he plans uh, revenge on them because they are embarrassing him with this. They're embarrassing him. So in revenge, Samson burns all the Philistines' grain. He distort, destroys their vineyards and their olive groves. So what do the Philistines do in return? They burn to death his bride-to-be and her father. They burn to death his bride-to-be and her father. And in that, we see that revenge is an uncontrollable monster, isn't it? Revenge is an uncontrollable monster. Each act of retaliation here brings on another. I heard someone say once that revenge is a boomerang that cannot be thrown without it returning back to the thrower. This is what we see happening here. Samson, though, is still not ready to take any responsibility. 
Because when the men of Judah come to him, they say, bro, don't you know the Philistines rule over us? What are you doing? What are you doing? And he says to them in, in, in chapter 15, verse 11, he says, I only did to them what they did to me. Justified through his own senses. I only did to them what they did to me. Again, takes no responsibility. So the Philistines arrest Samson and they put him in custody. They arrest him, they put him in custody, but the scripture says that the spirit of the Lord came upon Samson and he takes the jawbone of a donkey, busts out of custody, fighting and killing a thousand Philistine men, and then he boasted about it on the way out. Boasted about it on the way out. So, if you're anything like me with that, you're probably thinking now maybe Samson's going to chill out. Maybe now he's going to chill out, go home, and how about this? Start rescuing the Israel. The Israelites, but that's not what we see. We don't see it. You know why? Because sin makes you stupid. Sin makes you stupid. You laugh, but without a doubt, it's gotten us all. It's gotten us all. I could share some stories with you <laughs> whereby you wouldn't know whether to laugh with me, laugh at me, or pray for me. But the truth is, if we're honest, sin gets us all, and we have those moments where sin makes us stupid. But here's the truth. Until we start seeing with different eyes, with God's eyes, we'll keep going around and around, stuck in a sin cycle of stupidity. You ever wonder why you keep making the same mistakes over and over and over again? God is trying to get us out of this cycle. But here's the thing. It's not unlike, Samson is not unlike many of us in the body of Christ who love God and are stirred by his spirit, but are still seduced by our senses. He's not unlike everybody in this room. How could Samson kill the lion? How could he do it? Your Bible says because the spirit of the Lord came upon him. How was he able to strike down 30 Philistines and steal their clothes? Your Bible says because the spirit of the Lord came upon him. How can God use such flawed people like Samson, like you and I? How could God use such flawed people that are stirred by his spirit and also seduced by our senses? How can he use us to get his work done? Shouldn't God only use good godly men and women who make all the right choices and have, have all the right beliefs? Shouldn't he? Sounds interesting, but, there, but many of us believe that. We believe that. You know how I know? Because I, I have my own story, and I talk to many people who feel disqualified in our own hearts and in our own minds from being used by God and even feeling loved by God because that's what we think. We think that because we've done something, we've been doing something, we think something, we feel something, we think that God, God can't use us. Thinking like this, it puts God in a box. Because if that were true, it would mean that God's limited by human beings. It would mean that God is limited by human potential. And it would discount God's grace altogether. It would discount his grace. The amazing truth is, is that God works through broken people and impossible situations. He works through broken people and impossible situations. His faithfulness is not bound by human potential or human limitations. Not even our own sin can stop him from loving us or from using us. I need you to hear that today. 
not even your own sin. God works through the free and often flawed choices that we make. God works through those. We see that in the life of Samson. Now, I want to be clear about something here really quick before we conclude Samson's story. Because you might be wondering, how can Samson be so empowered by the Spirit, yet show so much, show, show so impatience, humility, or self-control? First of all, I would offer this, Samson's story is not over yet, right? Secondly, I would offer this, and I think it's important for us to understand as Christ followers. The Bible makes a distinction between the gift of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. Bible makes a distinction between the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. So it is, in, it is possible to have the gifts of the Spirit yet lack the fruit of the Spirit. That's what we see in Samson's life. It's possible to be gifted yet struggle. Ladies and gentlemen, I need you to know gifts are freely given. Fruit is intentionally grown. Gifts are freely given. Fruit is intentionally grown. Gift will take you places, but it's only the fruit that will keep you there. And so the lesson for us, one of the takeaways for us is, since we are seduced by our senses and stirred by God's spirit, is that we have to allow the spirit to stir, develop, grow in us the fruit of the spirit. Chapter 16, the final chapter of Samson's story, it concludes after more sin, Samson finally meets the woman of his dreams. Finally meets the woman of his dreams. He finally finds Love, a girl that is just right in his eyes. Girl is just right in his eyes. Her name is Delilah. What could possibly go wrong? What could possibly go wrong? Well, turns out, ladies and gentlemen, that Delilah is a Philistine spy. She's a Philistine spy. And in chapter 16, Delilah and Samson go back and forth about the secret of his strength until Delilah pouted. Hmm, that's my, that's my, <laughs> hmm. That's my, that's my Delilah pout. The scripture says that she pouted and said, how can you say you love me when you won't share your secrets with me? How can you say you love me you won't share your secrets? So Samson finally concedes and tells her, it's my hair. Which, by the way, is not the full truth. Because the secret to Samson's strength was God's spirit. So, while Samson was asleep, she had his hair cut and forms the Philistines. The mighty Samson is finally weak. And so they capture him, and the scripture says that they gouge out his eyes. They capture Samson, and they gouge out his eyes. So Samson is now in their custody. But as I close, I want to talk about the fatal Philistine mistake. The fatal Philistine mistake. Chapter 16, verse 23 says, Philistine rulers had held a great festival. They're offering sacrifices and praising their God. They said... Our God has given us victory over our enemy, Samson. Here's the truth. Samson was not their enemy. Their mistake was thinking that their enemy was a man. Truth is that their enemy was God. But I love what we see here as chapter 16 concludes. Samson, in his weakness, in his brokenness, actually becomes stronger than he ever was. How did he get there? It took a combination of humility and courage to pray the prayer that Samson prays in chapter 16, verse 28. A prayer I believe that God longs to hear from each of us. Samson prayed this. He said, Sovereign Lord, remember me again, O God. Please strengthen me one last time. I need you to catch this. Samson, 
who is now blind. He can no longer live by his own eyes. He can no longer live by his own senses. When he's in this space, he finally cries out to the Lord. And in so doing, Samson, just before his death, finally begins to live for God's eyes. He's finally in a place where he can do what we heard he would do in his miraculous birth. And that's begin to rescue Israel. Scripture concludes in verse 29 and 30. It says, then Samson put his hands on the two pillars, held the temple, pushing against them with both hands. He prayed, let me die with the Philistines. And the temple, the scripture says, crashed down on the Philistine rulers and all the people. So he killed more people when he died than he had during his lifetime. As broken as Samson was, his final act begins to rescue Israel from the Philistines. And with that, Samson's life reminds us that my sense and seduce, God's spirit stirs. So what do we do with that? What do we do with that paradox? Up one day, down tomorrow. Up three days, down five days. What do we do with this paradox? Serves as a tension for many of Christian believers. Struggle with my own brokenness. Shared before, every week before I step up here, I gotta step through it, I gotta step past it, I gotta step over it. Feeling inadequate. Questioning God, why would you choose me and you know me? Same reason God would choose you and he knows you. Doesn't mean that we can't grow in the fruit of the spirit. Doesn't mean that we can't allow the spirit of God to stir and develop the fruit so that we, we, we represent him more accurately in the earth. So with that, last week I offered an application that was one thing, two words. When I mentioned that we should slow down, that we would behold all of the amazing things that God is doing. Today I want to offer something similar regarding this paradox. One thing, two words. Keep going. Keep going. I know you struggle with your brokenness. I know you struggle in the times when your senses, you're seduced by your senses. But then you also have those great moments when you feel God's spirit stirring. You know God is using you. You're proud of that moment. My encouragement to you is to simply keep going. Don't give up on God. Because he hasn't given up on you. Don't give up on yourself. Don't give up on the people in your life that have struggles like Samson, like you and I do. My encouragement to you this holiday season and beyond is to keep moving towards the promise. Keep moving towards the presence of God, his greatest gift towards us. Because here's what I know. In spite of the culture, we serve a God, we serve a God whose spirit stirs, whose spirit strengthens, and he can keep us no matter what we're facing no matter what we're struggling with. The truth is he loves us just that much. So I need you to know that I'm praying with you and I'm standing with you. And together, 
in spite of our brokenness, we're going to see God do some amazing things. That's just the kind of God we serve. I'm amazed all the time. And I ask, why would God, why would you use a kid from New York City that didn't grow up going to church? Why would you use me in this way? You know me. God said, don't focus on that. Focus on the fact that I know you and I love you. If he feels the same, if he feels that way about me, he feels the same way about you. I'm cheering for you. Let's let, let's let God be God. Let's let God be God. Let's pray together. Father, it's in Jesus' name that we're grateful that in spite of our brokenness, in spite of our failures, our missteps, our mishaps, you love us. Not only do you love us, God, but you called us. You chose us. So grateful. Grateful that you have a plan for each and every one of us, God. So God, we pray that you would help us to see ourselves the way you see us. Beautiful, holy, righteous. And we pray, God, that you would help us to live with open hands and open hearts, that your spirit might continue to stir in us. That in spite of what our senses try to do, how our senses try to seduce us, you would develop fruit of the spirit in us. So I'm grateful that nobody walks alone. We walk with you and we walk together. So I pray that you would glorify yourself in our hearts, in our minds, and in our lives. That as your spirit stirs, we will be a light wherever we are that would draw others to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.